Welcome to the Technori Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Joining me on today's show, David Mendel. He's the CEO of Humatics. Uh, he is a, a chair of the MIT Task Force on the Future of Work. Um, he is a multi-time author, I believe five books, obviously the founder of Humatics. Talk about all kinds of things that are way past my understanding, way past probably even your understanding. Um, it, it's just, I, I don't even know how to quantify this. Something that is as simple as answering the question, where am I? And it has profound impact on the world. Because if you can answer where am I, and when I say where am I, I don't mean within you know 30 feet of me uh, or that my address is 303 East Wacker. Where am I down to the cubic centimeter, down to like the pixel? Digitally, we are almost there to where we can literally tell where every single thing is. And that may not seem important to you, but as David goes into in this interview, it's pretty important because that is the the glue, the fabric that enables the robotic world, the real world, the digital world to come together. If you can tell a robot where to be, you've done half their work, as he says so eloquently. And I just can't even imagine a world where we actually know where every single thing in on earth is. We'll, we'll never be alive. I don't think long enough to find out where everything is in, in the ocean necessarily or in, in space around us, but it's, we're, man, we're getting there. And it's just an incredible, incredible thing. And the other part about this conversation that I thought was really interesting, we didn't even really go into it, but I just thought it's worth noting that you take note of it when you listen. He planned on this business. It just took 20 years to start it. Because it took that long to learn and to experience. And he was involved with the folks that ended up using technology to find the Titanic. And in that sort of desperation under the water where you don't have resources, the idea, the, the notion that knowing where we are is a, is a key component. And he spent his life studying it. And ultimately, the fruit of that is, is a hundreds of patents and, and, um, and a company called Humatics. And it's, it, it will be very worth your while uh, to listen to. Today's show is sponsored by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with True Automation by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori and get your first two months for free. This is my conversation with the CEO and founder of Humatics, David Mendel. So I'm on a bit of a hot streak right now with, uh, with founders from MIT. Um, we had Goddard Abel on from G2 Crowd last week. We hosted the Reach event with them and uh, a few others before that, the uh, founder of Helium, and there seems to be this sort of transition where, you know, when I was in school, math was something that was frightening and it was something that I shied away from in sciences. And now I'm a huge proponent of, of increasing the availability and access to STEM education to, to people across the board. And the only reason I bring that up is because I, I think it's interesting that most of the very, very successful companies, including the previously described G2, which is for all intents and purposes, a B2B review platform, all of it comes back to the way that the founder viewed numbers at an early age. And he's founded numerous companies, all of which were, you know, nine, 10 figure exits um, based on just the way that he viewed trends. And I think it's kind of an interesting learning from my vantage point. And so when I have an opportunity to talk to you, um, I guess I'd love to, to learn sort of the journey of what brought you into becoming a founder. Try to identify, is there something about you that makes you see ideas and opportunities different than the regular Joe? And so I, I think the best way to start our conversation here 
is obviously explaining what Humanix is, uh, but also learning more about why you decided to jump into this and try to solve this problem. Uh, sure. Um, you know, I've spent my career doing both engineering and the humanities. Um, I'm the only faculty member at MIT with a dual appointment in engineering and 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 then the humanities. And so the whole thing that's become cool about STEAM and bilingualism and so on has been part of my just identity since I was at least in college, if not before. Um, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, was heavily influenced by the first wave of personal computers. So ever since the young Steve Jobs with the Apple II, I always had my eye on becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, my mother is an entrepreneur. My father is an engineer. Um, I developed precision navigation technology in the 80s and 90s when I was um, working in deep ocean robotics. I worked with Bob Ballard and the group that found the Titanic, and we spent 15 years traveling around the world looking at shipwrecks and, and hydrothermal vents and other Navy things in the deep ocean. Um, and I got hooked on precision navigation when I did that and navigating robots to centimeter and even more accurately. And I licensed that technology off to a company twice, actually, once in the early 90s, once in the early 2000s. Um, it was never a startup it, technology in and of itself because the deep ocean is just a fairly, you know, hostile, narrow environment and there aren't that many it's just not that much of a market there. But that that got me convinced that there was a market for precision navigation in the terrestrial world. Uh, everybody became enamored with GPS and what it can do, but it's also very limited in that it doesn't work indoors, it doesn't work underground, and it doesn't work in cities. And, um, and it's not very accurate. You know, it's 10 to 30 meters of accuracy under depending on the conditions. And um, so I went to MIT, I did my PhD, and I was lucky enough to join the faculty and had a very nice life as a professor for 20 years. But um, always this idea both of starting a company and starting a company to do precision navigation never left me. Um, I tinkered around in my workshop for about five years teaching myself microwave and radar electronics, which is a different kind of electronics than I'd specialized in in the robotics world, and uh, learned enough to know that it was possible, the technology was coming along, and I probably needed a partner who was a real tech expert, tech, a technical expert more than I was in that particular kind of electronics, and uh, just started talking to people and nosing around, and this is a 2014, 2015, there were a lot more robots coming online. I was working in autonomous systems and building autonomous helicopters and other uh, types of, of uh, research. And uh, you could just see that, that the robotics world was about to explode. Driverless cars were beginning to be on people's minds, although it was clear they were going to have a much tougher time than most people were realizing. And that navigation is key to any of these technologies. And so uh, I do think that my position as a sort of insider-outsider in the technology world, I 
I wrote five books about the history of technology and about autonomous systems and robotics. And so I was used to, from my research, kind of looking at the world from the outside as a bit of an analyst. And then as an engineer, I was interested in building systems that actually worked in the real world with all of the difficult uh, constraints that that puts on what you can actually accomplish, as opposed to working in a research lab where you're mostly collecting data to write papers. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the, the two things you brought up there that I think are well, actually, th- there's a bunch of them. <laughs> three things. Um, <clears throat> one, I think you just coined a new phrase in Textbird. I know it was a a, a slip, but I think we're going to have to go with that <laughs> hashtag Textbird from now on. Um, but yeah. the two the, the two things you said that right off the bat, kind of. I circled in on and I think the audience will find very valuable to, to uncover is you mentioned like many of the founders we've had on um, the enamorment with Apple's first computer or with Lotus or with any of these like original, the OG computers, the first personal computers. Um, but there's a weird difference between folks like you and regular people who just sort of saw it as like, they just looked at it as a box that they could type. It was an electronic typewriter. Uh, and then other people like yourself saw it as a means to something much greater. And you you also sort of in the same light uh, mention when you were looking at, you know, working with um, with the, the folks that found the Titanic, that, that you saw how GPS and how geolocation stuff could be something gigantic, something that the world would, would need and, and want to use forever. And I, I wonder for you in particular, as you start to hone your career towards as you go back to MIT for the PhD, what was it about this sort of world that you saw that made you see application that is potentially unlimited versus the regular folks that looked at it and were just like, that's unique. Cause I, I think that like when we talked to, we, we had the same conversation with Mark Randolph on, on the Netflix podcast where he was like, you know, Amazon was just coming out and they sort of were disrupting the book industry. And we, being him and Reed Hastings, looking for something that would be a similar type of application. And they went through tons of things and eventually obviously settled on video. But in that, they saw something different than everyone else. Everyone else just thought, oh, here's another way for me to consume a book. And he thought, oh, my God, here's a way for human beings to engage in content and things in a way that they've never experienced before. And he started building what would become Netflix, you know, 20 years ago uh, before there was streaming. And so I I just, I think it's a a good learning point for everyone out there to learn from you directly. What do you think it is about yourself or your upbringing or your background or just the way your brain works that enabled you to identify the application versus just the novelty? Well, again, you know, working undersea, we had to invent our own navigation. Uh, Even then, GPS was pretty new. And GPS works underwater, but only to a depth of about a millimeter. So anywhere deeper than a millimeter, and we were working in 10,000 meters of water, uh, anywhere deeper than a millimeter, you have to invent your own navigation system and bring it with you. So I learned a lot about navigation that way, and I also learned that that more accuracy than anyone ever thought they needed would always be useful and people would eventually become addicted to very highly accurate navigation. And that's what happened underwater. And it was just clear 
that the underwater world, we learned things that were a decade or two ahead of what people had learned in other environments. Although I think those similar lessons have been learned in spaceflight and other areas of extreme environments. That was what my 2015 book was about. It was about what we've learned about robotics from extreme environments. So by working in these places that are life or death and where you have to use robotics, you have no choice. A lot of people in those domains have learned things about robots that are only now just beginning to be learned by folks who are doing stuff with autonomous vehicles in more more ordinary environments. And so I've always been good at translating knowledge across those kind of boundaries. And, um, and you know, the ability to move back and forth between one environment to another, you know, it's either, you know, I don't know if it's a talent or if it's a skill, but it, teaches you to see things in context and to bring them together and make connections between the things that people don't otherwise think as connected. Um, you know, one way to describe humatics is we're a robotics company that doesn't make robots um, because there are a lot of good robots out there and they're under intense cost pressure to become cheaper and they're increasingly competitive with each other. We make the connective tissue that connects robots into the world by telling them where they are and how to navigate. And um, we combine radar and radio frequency and ultra wideband engineering uh, with robotic navigation. That's just a unique combination. There's no other company out there that does that. And uh, that enables us to build systems that um, make robots just incredibly more productive and useful and robust in the world. So to that point, I think it's also very interesting observation, I think. When you look at all of the most successful, and again, success is a subjective term, uh, but let's settle it on financially uh, rewarding. Um, the most successful companies ultimately solve a problem that is is not only a, a want, of course, but it's not just even a need. It's, it's like a desperate need. And I, I think that the the companies that I that come to mind obviously it's the Microsofts of the world the the Facebooks right now which is sort of a invented need but nonetheless um, and the Amazons and, and just all of these power power companies they solve a problem that they basically saw something that was going to be and I this is a really superficial analogy but I always base the value of something based on how close to the home page of your phone the app is and I I look at this and I think in the future. Jeff Bezos had to be thinking in 10 years, everyone's going to have an Amazon button on their phone because everything that they buy is going to come through us or it's going to go this way. Or it might be a book, you know, at the time he started, it was a book app, whatever. Um, you found what I think is probably the next gigantic, disruptive, world-transforming technology in the robotic space and also, you know, traveling space and, and, and exploring the oceans and all of just these things that are in the, the gigantic future that we have, you found them when you had to go into a position where you had nothing, you had no sensory, you had, you had to kind of invent as you go along, as you said. And I think it's kind of an important part for most of the founders out there that are looking to start a company. It's like, it's easy to come up with some crazy idea. It's not easy to execute. But the ultimate test of is this something that will be very valuable going forward is the need. Is 
in my desperate measure, will I need this? Will this be something I rely on in, in regularity? And I, and I think it's, it's just really interesting and timing is always everything that you would be sitting there, you know, that far beneath the surface of, of the world in, in the, in the ocean, trying to discover how would you navigate and that fast forward a decade or however long it's been more than that. Um, we are now entering a world where all of that sort of um, intuition and knowledge and learning uh, is going to practice. And here there's a company now in Humatics that you have that that is sort of taking this entire career that you've had in multiple careers, quite honestly, um, all coming together in one. And it's amazing because it's been, in your mind, it's been going on probably for, for 30 years, but here we are, uh, in my mind, just entering the beginning, the real first base of of robotics and and its use case that in a general pop sort of scenario what 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 about like that when you think back on that is that does it blow your mind that this all seems to continue to unravel almost like it was meant to be or do you feel like it's just been like you're just sitting here waiting like i can't believe it's taken this long no i think you know i mean a couple of years ago one of our junior people i was traveling with him and getting to know him a little bit, and he had this moment of revelation. He said, oh, now I get it, David. You've been planning to start this company for 20 years, which is true. I really did plan to start this company for 20 years, and then one day it was the time. And during that time, I was building my knowledge. I was building my network. I was building uh, my understanding of what technologies are out there. At the same time, I think one of the key realizations is that First of all, you know, pure software systems never really interested me very much. I probably would have been a, um, you know, much wealthier man if they did. But um, I was always interested in robotics because it was the way that technology and software interacted with the physical world. Very difficult and very challenging, but very interesting. And as an engineer, I always built things that were on the borderline of hardware and software and built things that were on the borderline of analog and digital. Those are always the places that interest me. Um, and, you know, if you even look around the room that you're in, the physical world is still very much not accessible to or interactive with the digital world. Um, GPS is a very important first step in that and it enables, you know, all the things we take for granted like Google Maps and Uber and other things. Um, but it's only one way to think about navigation. And in fact, I think it's a very 20th century idea about navigation that you have this one system, thanks to the U.S. Department of Defense, and you have a single coordinate frame that covers the entire globe. Um, it's a very valuable thing, obviously. Um, and when you're traveling outdoors and long distance, it's super valuable. But it, as I said earlier, it doesn't work indoors. It doesn't work underground. doesn't work in buildings. doesn't work around buildings. And it doesn't work in what we call the built environment, which is the, the human built environment that we increasingly live and work in, and even most robots live and work in. And when you work in those environments, the single coordinate frame that covers the world is not the right answer. The right answer is a local coordinate frame, like the coordinate frame of the factory, or the coordinate frame of your loading dock, or your coordinate frame of your uh, you know, container terminal, where you're just trying to get a job done and you need to do it in very high precision and you don't actually care that much where you are on the surface of the earth. You care where you are relative to the ship or relative to the crane or relative to the wall or relative to another robot. 
And that introduces the idea of navigation as a relationship. And rather than a signal coordinate frame that covers the entire universe or the entire Earth, you have many, many thousands or millions of coordinate frames that uh, sort of have this kind of fractal growth across the landscape where they're, they're used for particular purposes. Some of them are accurate to a half a millimeter and others of them are accurate to a centimeter. Um, and but they basically are the connective tissue that tie a robot into the building that it's working inside, that tie a person into the safety zone that they want to be in or be out of, that tie a train into where it is very precisely within the station it's trying to track into. And the whole idea of navigational relationships is really what the company is founded on, and that's the key that's going to bring um, the digital world into broader contact with the physical world. If you look in front of your face right now, imagine every little cubic millimeter will soon have a digital tag attached to it. Um, we don't live in that world today. People say, what's your vision for five years from now? I say, five years from now, we'll say, can you believe that in 2019 we didn't know where anything was? Um, <laughs> That's and, so true. Oh, my God, is that true? What problem are you trying to solve? It's the one of the oldest questions of humankind, where am I? And you tell any robot where it is, you've done half its job for it. And so um, there's a lot of complex technology and we work a lot with ultra wideband and um, there's mathematics and machine learning and all this kind of stuff in it. But at the end of the day, it's a question that everybody can relate to and everybody needs the answer to. Where am I? Where's my stuff? Where am I going? Um, one of our sayings is locate, navigate, collaborate. Um, if I know where I am, I know where I am in relation to the things around me, and I can begin to live in a rich digital, physical environment. Right now, the, the physical environment still has a lot of trouble interacting with the digital environment. Oh, no question. It's, it's, it's so interesting to me that it truly is the quintessential kind of moment when we look at our lives, when we look back a thousand years from today, we look back a thousand years like these people didn't even know the world was round or flat. Like they didn't know they didn't know why they exist or how they exist or what they exist. And you fast forward here today and we still don't know. And it just blows my mind to think about I don't even know how many generations it is. Like it's it's many, many generations ahead of us are going to look back and go, these people are running around, it, you know, quote unquote, inventing the world. And they didn't even know where they were. <laughs> like, like literally, the Earth is is such a small, tiny little speck in the in the scheme of the universe, and we can't even figure out how to populate that properly. Um, it's just incredible to to think the the vastness of of what you're working on. I also it brings in kind of an, an interesting sub story in the sense that um, we had a panel not that long ago, and a a guy in the audience, and he was kind of surly, so I'll, I'll spare you the his his take but uh the gist of it was he was like do, do we even know as technologists or experts, as you put it um do we even know the the destruction or the positive of what we're creating do we do we think about that when we're building these kind of things of the impact it will have on the world around us and one of the panelists who was not the right person to answer it answered it in my mind just so perfectly and he just said you know if you think back at the beginning of of mankind all of the good all the empires built and all the empires crumbled. It all hinged on human beings' curiosity, our curiosity to know why we're here, where we are, who we're related to, how we got here, where we're going. 
And it's just so funny to me that it, it really, you know, we're nowhere near the the answer, but we're we're getting so close through technology and, and advancements like you've been working on for your entire career to at least be able to quantify some of it, which I think is always the starting point of any scientific experiment is being able to actually like define the problem, put something down and test it. And, and I think you're working on that in a way that I don't even think is comprehensible to many people. Yeah. All we do is measure distances and, uh, you know, navigation is really just about trigonometry and bookkeeping, but there's a lot of both of them that have to go into it. And, you know, we actually make our own chips. We make, we, we own more than a hundred patents in ultra wideband navigation. Uh, and you may have noticed that there's an ultra wideband chip in the new iPhone 11, um, sort of short range consumer grade stuff to help with secure transactions. But, the the notion of industrial scale, robust, you know, um, reliable ultra wideband is what Humatics does. And um, uh, so we, you know, we engineer, you know, waveforms down to the picosecond and even more precisely at some level. We have software that combines all those distance measurements into location. Uh, and at the end of the day, we deliver maps to people that says, here's where your stuff is, here's where it's all moving around, and make motion visible in the software sense and in a software interface uh, allows people to see patterns and machines to see patterns that they have not been able to see. And there's just an enormous amount of value to be unlocked in better understanding where things are, where they go, making that motion more efficient and safer and enabling people and robots to collaborate in spaces together because they know where each other are. Totally. Um, the, the If I could end on a note with you, I'd, I'd love to have any singular bold prediction that you see coming either in robotics, in, in this particular distance mapping, just in general, that, that the general population will see in the next, call it five years, that will blow our minds. Well, you know, we're solving the problems of people and robots working alongside each other, robots doing what they do well, people doing what they do well, and getting rid of the cages that divide them from one to the other, and getting rid of the dangerous, inflexible kind of 1970s idea of a robot. Actually, it's a 1920s idea of a robot, and moving toward um, uh you know, robots, much like personal computers, have become collaborative tools that help people get their jobs done, uh, help them be more productive, um, and help them do things that are unpleasant or 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 dangerous to do. And you know, that that's a simple idea, but the truth is, most robots that have any real capability will still kill you without a second thought. And we've got to get you know, beyond that world, if we want to, then you, then you look at something like a urban transit system or a subway or a giant crane, you wrap a position feedback loop around that crane or around that train and it becomes a robot. And you bring all of this kind of legacy or large scale industrial equipment into the digital world simply by telling it where it is. In other news, Terminator four comes out next summer. <laughs> Um, 
So I, I want to go ahead. I haven't seen that movie, but, uh, you know, the idea of the robot as the little human, I think, is a interesting mythological idea, but not really the practical technologist's idea. No, I, um, I, I don't believe that was the intention, actually. <laughs> uh, David, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to do this. Uh, where do people go to learn more about Humatics? Uh, Humatics is the first four letters of human and the last four letters of robotics with the human first. And so it's Humatics.com. Very cool. David, thank you so much. Great. Thanks. To invest in startups, download past episodes or apply to pitch on the Startup Showcase, check out technori.com. Stay connected by following us on social at Technori or you can follow me at Katoon. Boom. That's a wrap.